Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Steve Anderson, welcome to It's TechTastic. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So your book, uh, the best-selling book, actually, The Bezos Letters, is really fascinating. I'm near Seattle. I know a lot of people that are either ex-Amazon or currently Amazon. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a mode of operating there that I haven't seen anywhere else. Agreed. And it's clearly successful. Honestly, I'd phrase it, they continue to do something right. You know, and again, as they grow, things change. But there is a culture there, a mindset there that Bezos put in place that continues. Yeah, the master of risk. Yep. And I, I've been at enough places that have looked at Amazon and said that they're the big threat. They're the one that we have to buffer ourselves against. And how do we do that? And my answer was always, well, what are they doing right? How do we do that before they get here? Mm -hmm. So I want to get into it. I want to know, like, what did you learn from the letters that Jeff Bezos put out to his shareholders? So the whole focus of the book are the 14 principles. So a little bit of background, if that might help. Yeah. I still in the insurance industry where risk taking is frowned upon. And I started asking the question, is the biggest risk insurance agents face not taking enough risk? <laughs> and I have worked literally for 25 plus years now, helping that niche market better understand the technology that's coming. We know all the things that are changing. That led me to start researching companies that were once very successful and are no longer here. And we kind of know the litany of those. Um, and those companies that have been successful continue to be successful. What's the difference? Came across the Bezos shareholder letters. He started, the first one was 1997. The book goes through the 2018 letter. He's now subsequently written the 19 and 20. Uh, 20 was his last letter as CEO. I sat down and read all the letters at the time in order, like a narrative, a book. Yeah. And I realized there were threads going through those letters. Common phrases he would use, comments he would use, techniques or principles or the way he organized people and the thought process, etc. So I grouped those 14, because that's a lot into four cycles, test, build, accelerate, and scale. Mm -hmm. And I actually believe every company is going through those four stages, cycles, kind of whatever you want to call them. They're testing new ideas, you know, certainly startups. Is this a viable product? They're getting some traction and then building on that traction and then accelerating that growth and then maintaining as they scale bigger. And the acceleration and growth tend to be areas where a lot of companies have problems, meaning the culture isn't scaling, it's you know risk-taking actually is not encouraged because now we have something to protect versus, you know, I'll take Seth Godin's killing your sacred cow, right? 
and being willing to look at something new. And so the principles all flow around that idea and thought. You're absolutely right that every company that's successful goes through that cycle. And the thing that they get stuck on is that protection mindset and the level of success they'll have, the longevity of the company will really depend on how long they delay that. Right. Or if they can build it in in the beginning, then it just becomes a normal part of the culture. And I'll go back to my very first principle, encourage successful failure, which basically means a mindset around failure is an option. It has to be an option. And as Bezos describes it, when you experiment, you're gonna fail. Because if you're not gonna fail in an experiment, it's not an experiment, because you know the outcome. Well, if you're testing new ideas, if you're testing new processes, you've gotta be willing to understand that failure is part of that iterative process. And I think the other comment I'll make that goes against common thinking right now is that you know, we call companies innovative, that they need to innovate or they are innovative. And I think that's wrong. Again, looking at Amazon, what do they do? They invent on behalf of the customer. That does allow them to innovate, but they invent first. And I think that mindset is where companies need to be thinking. How can we invent on behalf of the customer, create better products, better services, better ways of interacting with them, um, allowing them to do self-service, right? There's all kinds of things that go into that, but it's experimentation first that creates the invention that allows the innovation. And you can look at any of their kind of big projects over the years, and that was the process. This is one of the things that comes up a lot when you're talking to a company in a space that Amazon hasn't already conquered. Yeah. Is they'll look at it and say, look, but see, they tried and they failed. It's like, right, that means they're going to try again. That was just an experiment. They learned a lot from it. And what they probably learned from it is exactly what's going to cause you to eventually lose because you haven't learned the same lesson along the way. Yeah. Current examples are grocery, pharmacy are too kind of big that they keep experimenting with what works and they're not afraid to shut it down. If yeah. it's not working, kill it. But that doesn't mean we've killed the goal. At the beginning, you said something that I think is the message that everybody brought in to introduce innovation to a large company is tasked with assessing the risk of not doing anything and expressing that to the organization. And I've always described it myself as it's existential. If you do not change anything for the better and make your customers happier tomorrow, somebody else will and you won't exist. Yeah. Now, it may take 20 years, you know, and, and again, Bezos has a whole spiel. He was at an all-hands meeting in 2016 in Seattle, a couple thousand employees, common quarterly thing. He had gone through kind of company updates and what I'm excited about, and et cetera, et cetera. Opened it up for Q&A from the employees. Uh, they wrote him down on, on note cards. So he, he looked down at the next question and it said, Jeff, what does day two look like? Well, if you've been around Amazon much, you know, He's been very focused on being day one, right? Even in that very first 97 letter, he said, it's day one for the internet and for amazon.com if we execute well. So what does day two look like? And he kind of chuckled and said, I think I know the answer to this. And he said, day two is stasis, followed by irrelevance, followed by excruciating painful decline, followed by death. And that's why it's always day one. But he went on to describe that in his 2016 letter. And he said, that could take 20 years. 
But once it starts, it's really hard to stop it or reverse it. It can be done, but it's really hard. So to me, that's that idea of scaling right inappropriately. And he, he identified four what he called ways to prevent day two. Customer obsession, which again, big theme throughout Amazon. A skeptical view of proxies. So proxies, processes, and procedures that don't fit or serve the customer anymore. So you don't do something just because you've always done it, but you keep questioning it. Third is eager adoption of external trends. So that's that kind of looking forward, right? Continuing. So he said they're pretty easy to spot. And remember, this is 2016. He said, one of those trends is machine learning. Yeah. Well, again, all of a sudden, <laughs> right, people think, oh, all of a sudden this came. No, it's been developing for a long, long time. And then the final is high velocity decision making. Yeah, that's right? a, that's a hard one to implement in most cultures because they yes. tend to be risk averse, which means they put a lot of gates in the way. Yes. Well, and as it's the gates that slow growth. And what he says is the vast majority of decisions made at a company can be reversed. There are very few irreversible decisions. So thus, decisions should be made by a group or an individual that has the expertise at the lowest level possible. So you don't have to go through bureaucracy to get multiple approvals to do anything. In fact, action, you know, again, one of their leadership principles is default to action. You know, do something, move forward, break thing. I mean, all of those kinds of phrases that Amazon certainly has incorporated as part of their culture. It's amazing to me the disconnect that you often get when you get into a scarcity mindset in a company where they become extremely risk adverse, they put in place those gates, they take decision making away from the people that have the information to make a good decision, yeah. and they put a command and control piece in place, which is a trust issue for me. It is. And it goes back to, uh, again, their hiring philosophy, which is we hire the best. We maintain high standards. We don't apologize for high standards. We look for the best that we can find. And we don't just fill a position to fill a position. If we can't find somebody, that position stays open. You know, and again, there's obviously balancing and getting stuff done, et cetera. But that focus on high standards is really there still to this day. There's a phrase that keeps coming to my mind that Bezos used. It's unwarranted risk aversion. And I, I do call Bezos the master of risk because how he uses risk strategically to grow. And there is an aspect where you want to reduce the risk. That doesn't mean you don't continue to move forward, but you figure out how, as I call it, protect the downside, right? So it's not stupid risk. It's not, <laughs> let's throw spaghetti against the wall and see what happens. It's very intentional. And you know, one of the tools they developed is various names to it over the years, but it started being the six page memo where they banned PowerPoint and you had to actually literally write out physically and hand out your thought process for whatever project you were trying to get approval for. And people would read it in the meeting and it's very counterintuitive. And I, I will tell you, I do try and practice what I talk about because I started a new company kind of an offshoot of what I've been doing in the insurance industry about three or four years ago now. And we were pitching a group of potential investors and I did a six page memo. 
did a future press release, I did a FAQ, and those were the most excruciating 20 minutes while I let them read it because I did not pass it out beforehand. The conversation afterwards was much richer because they had all the information. They didn't have to stop in a slide and I didn't have to say, I'm gonna to get to that in a couple slides, just bear with, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It forced me and my team at the time to really think through what are they going to ask and what are the answers that we have for them. Uh, it's, this is a fascinating subject, especially when you're getting up and going, you're starting your first venture. Setting it up for success is very difficult. There, there's so many ways you can fail. Mm -hmm. But if you set up the culture to have the right behaviors, you decrease that risk, you're, you're mitigating it right off the bat. And it gives you the ability to then learn and adapt and pivot. But if you're deliberate about it and you're doing enough of the research up front using something like the PRFAQ to say, hey, we've done a little bit of research on this, we thought it through, uh, you're quick to act, test and adapt, you give yourself the best chance for success. But it comes back to something else you already said too, which is having the right people. Mm -hmm. Having the people that can't learn or stick to something out of, I don't know, honoriness or uh, unwilling to accept facts as they're presented to them can destroy your ability to do that. There are so many things you can fail at. Yeah, no question. And it's trying to manage all of that. And, you know, and I just struggle a little bit with the fail fast because to me that may be not respecting the risks enough. It's not one point, it's a continuum of experimenting and trying and, and building and maybe even having a couple of them going on at the same time so you can pick the best, yeah. right? Yeah. So you're not kind of just waiting for the failures to come, but you're, you're accelerating some of that. Well, there's a benefit to the competition too. If you've got the capacity because you've got the resources, having two independent teams try and solve the same thing doubles your mm -hmm. odds of doing it, but I think it is better than that. I actually think it, it quadruples your chances of, of solving for it. Right, and take the best of both and then put that together, which gives you an even more acceleration in terms of growth. Especially if you can eliminate the risk to the individuals involved. If you can mm -hmm. say like, you get the win if you get the win and that allows you to claim it and get the little badge or whatever, but like by losing, you didn't really lose. Right. We all go forward together. Yep. Well, one of the phrases I use is that in too many businesses, the culture is not risk taking. And as you said earlier, a lot of times that's kind of beaten out of the organization <laughs> as it grows. Yeah. But I'm convinced people aren't afraid of failure. They're afraid of the consequences of failure. And so, again, that's part of that culture. And there are a handful of examples of literally the best failure award. Right. So you tried something spectacularly failed, but you get the award because we encourage that forward thinking. And, you know, that says a lot more to an employee than a lot of what you could do supporting that mindset. I've always struggled with the fail in the fail fast part. I understand why it's used, especially as an organization gets larger. There's so much risk aversion. It has to be OK to fail. I get that. But when we're talking about a startup, failure almost can't be an option. And I don't mean you can't take risks. You can't learn and adapt and overcome. It's you have to take the view that we are going to win and we're going to do what's necessary. And that's where the fail word always trips me up when I'm talking to my own teams is it's got a lot that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And I've never really found a better word, though. <laughs> well, that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> um, 
again, some of the background for that particular was the Apollo 13. And yeah. so I described that in the book. But the failure of Apollo 1, if you remember that, that was the fire, yeah. right, on the pad uh, during a pre-launch test. Because the um, door opened weirdly, I, they couldn't get out. I don't remember what the story yeah, was. Yeah, the hatch wasn't designed for a Gloves. quick egress. Yeah. And so, you know, the three astronauts there died. NASA did a massive kind of rework of stuff. And when the Apollo 13 mishap happened, they were better prepared. So it was, and I actually have quotes from a couple of flight director and um, somebody else at the time said, you know, that was a tragedy, but without that, we might not have been able to get the Apollo astronauts back. And and actually that phrase, successful failure, was used at the very mm. end of Ron Howard's Apollo 13 movie that Jim Lovell, played by Tom Hanks, was narrating, our mission became known as NASA's most successful failure because they didn't get to the moon, but they got the astronauts back. Yeah, and that's such a great story to illustrate the concept because when you're shooting for the moon, and you miss, you're still accomplishing something amazing. And the fact that they survive in all the hazards that they had to deal with as the failures uh, cascaded on them is an amazing story. As you were saying it, I was like, wow, no, you actually apply that every time in your business when you're moving forward um, as a startup, because the reality is your first idea is not going to be the one that wins. Mm -hmm. The first people you bring in won't be there forever. They're probably not going to stick it around as long as you hope. Like the maybe the founders don't even, if you've got three founders, two of them survive the first couple of years. Survive and, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you have to take it as we're going to be a success in spite of the failures and maybe that the failures are what's going to give us our success. And then my favorite place that you see that play out over over and over and over again is in sports ball teams. Like in mm. a, you know, a baseball team that had a collapse in the ninth inning. They, they were up the whole game and then their defense fell apart because they got lazy. They, they were they were crushing the other team, so they just got they lazy. Were, yeah. They learned from that. They don't have to work as hard. Yep. And next time when they're in that situation, they double down. They're like, we're never gonna allow ourselves to fail that way again. Sometimes it's the best thing that can happen to your team. Mm -hmm. Yep, agreed. Yeah, very much so. Steve, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really enjoyed it. I recommend everybody listening, get your book. It's actually a fascinating read, the Bezos Letters. And you can get additional material at thebezosletters.com. Yep. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants to connect, I'm on LinkedIn. That's my primary platform. So you should be able to find me. Fantastic. Steve, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Christian, thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed it. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.